November 7. Now as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative today comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Hebrews chapter 8. We'll read about finality. Uh, There were uh, no chairs in the uh, Jewish tabernacle or temple because the priest's work was never finished. But Jesus finished the work of redemption and sat down on the throne. Gives us cause to rejoice. We'll read about reality. The Jewish priests in the temple minister with copies and shadows. But Christ in heaven ministers in the original sanctuary from which the things on earth were copied. When you trust Christ, you enter a life of reality and you are forever finished with substitutes. Another cause to rejoice. We'll also read about maturity. The law of Moses was given to the children of Israel as a tutor to help them grow up and be prepared for their Messiah's coming. They were like children. God had to take them by the hand and lead them. But the new covenant, with its heavenly priesthood, leads us to spiritual maturity. God puts His word in our hearts and transforms our character. Rejoice! and be exceedingly glad. And now, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. November 7th, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Here is the main point. Our high priest sat down in the place of highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand. There he ministers in the sacred tent the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law of Moses. They serve in a place of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning, Be sure that you make everything according to the design I have shown you here on the mountain. But our high priest has been given a ministry that is far superior to the ministry of those who serve under the old laws, for he is the one who guarantees for us a better covenant with God, based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But God himself found fault with the old one when he said, The day will come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, so they will understand them, and I will write them on their hearts, so they will obey them. I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their family, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will already know me, and I will forgive their wrongdoings 
and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means He has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and ready to be put aside. To live with radical abandonment for His glory. So you go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus says right before this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word repent literally means to renounce, to acknowledge, to confess your sin, to express sorrow over your sin, to turn from your sin, to renounce your sin and yourself. Jesus later says in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And this kind of renouncing is all over this passage. You think about these disciples and what they were renouncing, what they were abandoning, what they were leaving behind as they followed Jesus. So just think about them for a minute. They were leaving behind their comfort, leaving behind everything that was familiar for them, all that was natural for them, leaving comfort for uncertainty. Jesus didn't tell them where they were going. He just just told them who they'd be with. There's a whole sermon right there. Followers of Jesus don't always know where they're going, but they always know who they're with. We don't have time for that sermon. So, they were leaving behind their comfort. Second, they were leaving behind their careers. This is an abandonment of profession for these guys, at least temporarily. And we'll come back to how this applies to us, but just think through the lens of their lives. They were leaving behind comfort, careers. They were leaving behind possessions. They dropped their nets. Now, these guys were obviously not the most economically elite in their society, but the fact that they had a boat, a successful trade as fishermen, shows these men had much to lose in following Christ. We find out later they still had a boat, still had some various other things, but the reality is at this moment, they followed Jesus with nothing in their hands. Nothing in their hands. Their possessions, their position, this is huge. It was common in that day for, for people to attach themselves to teachers in order to promote themselves. That's how, why you would follow a rabbi in that day. The problem here with these disciples is that this is not a step up the ladder for them. This was a step down the ladder. The rabbi they were following would eventually find himself crucified as a criminal on a cross. They were leaving behind their families. James and John leave their father. They're not the only ones to do this. Remember Luke chapter 9, where Jesus says to a man who wants to just go back and say goodbye to his family, he says, don't don't look back. Put your hand on the plow. Look forward. Their families, their friends, their safety. This is a rabbi, a teacher who would soon say to them, I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. Not good news. All men will hate you because of me. They will persecute you. They were abandoning their safety. Following Jesus obviously meant leaving behind their sin. It's the core of what it means to repent, to turn from our sin. And all of this pointing ultimately to how they were abandoning themselves. This is the message that Jesus would say to them over and over and over again. If you're going to follow after me, you must deny yourself. In a world where everything revolves around protecting yourself, promoting yourself, preserving yourself, entertaining yourself, comforting yourself, taking care of yourself, Jesus says, slay yourself. So don't buy it. And church leaders don't sell it. So many Christians have bought it and so many church leaders have sold it. This idea that all you need to do is make a decision, pray a prayer, sign a card, become a Christian, and you keep your life as you know it. It's not true. You become a follower of Jesus and you lose your life as you know it. Now, I want to be careful here. I'm I'm not saying, nor could I say in Based on the whole of the New Testament, every follower of Jesus must lose their career, sell, give away all their possessions, leave their family behind, physically die for the gospel. But the New Testament is absolutely clear on these things. For all who follow Jesus, comfort and certainty in this world are no longer our concerns. Our career now revolves around whatever Jesus calls us to do and however he wants to use us and our careers to spread the good news of his kingdom. 
Our possessions are not our own. We no longer live for material pleasure in this world. We forsake material pleasure in this world in order to live for eternal treasure in a world to come. And this could mean any one of us selling everything we have. Position, no longer our priority. When it comes to family, absolutely. Based on the whole of the New Testament, we are commanded, honor our parents, to love wife or husband, provide for children. So you can't use passages like this to justify being a lousy son or daughter or spouse or parents or whatever. But our love for Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 10, should make love for our closest family members look like hate in comparison. Wherever he says to go, we go, knowing that because self is no longer our God, safety is no longer our priority. Psalm 106, verses 13 through 31. In light of God's goodness to Israel, you would have expected the nation to submit to Him and serve Him gladly and gratefully. Instead, they sinned and had to be disciplined many times. Before you judge them, however, consider whether you may be guilty of some of the same sins they committed. God delivered Israel from Egypt, but they soon forgot His mercy and ignored His counsel. He gave them manna, and they lusted for meat. They criticized their leaders. They worshipped a golden idol, and would have been destroyed had Moses not interceded for them. They came to the border of the promised land and refused to go in. While wandering in the wilderness, they compromised with the heathen nations. Their stubborn attitude even made Moses sin. Once in the land, they compromised with the wicked nations and God had to chasten them repeatedly. Were it not for His covenant, God would have destroyed them, but He forgave them and allowed them to have many, many new beginnings. Finally, He had to disperse them among the Gentiles. Psalm 106, verses 13 through 31. Yet how quickly they, the Israelites, forgot what He, the Lord, had done. They wouldn't wait for His counsel. In the wilderness, their desires ran wild, testing God's patience in that dry land. So He gave them what they asked for, but He sent a plague along with it. The people in the camp were jealous of Moses and envious of Aaron, the Lord's holy priest. Because of this, the earth opened up. It swallowed Dathan and buried Abiram and the other rebels. Fire fell upon their followers a flame consumed the wicked. The people made a calf at Mount Sinai. They bowed before an image made of gold. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating ox. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done such great things in Egypt, such wonderful things in that land, such awesome deeds at the Red Sea. So he declared he would destroy them. But Moses, his chosen one, stepped between the Lord and the people. He begged him to turn from his anger and not destroy them. The people refused to enter the pleasant land, for they wouldn't believe his promise to care for them. Instead, they grumbled in their tents and refused to obey the Lord. Therefore, he swore that he would kill them in the wilderness. 
that he would scatter their descendants among the nations, exiling them to distant lands. Then our ancestors joined in the worship of Baal at Peor. They even ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They angered the Lord with all these things, so a plague broke out among them. But Phinehas had the courage to step in, and the plague was stopped. So he has been regarded as a righteous man ever since that time. Proverbs 27, verses 7 through 9 Honey seems tasteless to a person who is full, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. A person who strays from home is like a bird that strays from its nest. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense.